bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. Yesterday, tens of millions of people tuned in to watch one of the most anticipated interviews in recent memory. Tucker Carlson went to Moscow and interviewed Russian president and dictator Vladimir Putin. The interview garnered at least 100 million views in 12 hours. Tucker explained in a video released two days before why he was going to let someone like Putin, who, by the way, has an atrocious human rights record, speak to the West. He said he was doing it out of journalistic duty to inform Westerners who've been kept in the dark about the other side of the war in Ukraine, a war the American people have been paying for. He said he was doing it because the Ukraine war has greatly changed the dynamic between nations. And while Western media has laid out the propaganda carpet for Ukraine's comedian-turned president, we've heard nothing from the man on the other side. And since this conflict could lead to a world war and even nuclear exchanges, Tucker reasoned, wouldn't it be best to hear from the man we were warring against? Some people think the answer is no. Putin shouldn't get the same level of respect as leaders who don't invade countries and poison their political enemies. Putin is a monster. One of the people who believe that is sitting in the studio, and we're going to hear from him in a bit. The interview was two hours long, and at the center of it was Ukraine. Tucker asked several times why Putin invaded Ukraine, except he never used the word invade. He never used any word to suggest that what Putin did was wrong. Essentially, Putin gave the answer we all expected. He invaded Ukraine to push back on NATO expansion, which he added the U.S. had promised Russia would not happen after the voluntary disintegration of the Soviet empire. Putin also said he'd been open to negotiating a peace deal long ago. He said one was close to being signed some time ago in Turkey. The documents were even drafted, ready to be inked. But then former British prime minister, who was prime minister at the time, Boris Johnson, intervened and he scrapped the deal. That's his version anyway. Putin started the interview with a 45-minute uninvited history lesson on Russia. Ukraine, he concluded, was not even a real country. That is how the Soviet Ukraine was created. After the World War II, Ukraine received, in addition to the lands that had belonged to Poland before the war, part of the lands that had previously belonged to Hungary and Romania. So Romania and Hungary had some of their lands taken away and given to the Soviet Ukraine, and they still remain part of Ukraine. So in this sense, we have every reason to affirm that Ukraine is an artificial state. So joining me are my colleagues here at The New American. We have executive senior editor of The New American, that's Steve Bonta, and via video is Bill Jasper, William F. Jasper, uh, a senior editor at the magazine. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, Paul. All right, so I'm going I'm to I'm go in and I'm going to ask you guys for your initial reactions first, and then we're going to get into some of the details. Steve, let's start with you. You have a lot of thoughts on the interviews. What, what, are, what are some of those? Well, since you alluded in your opening monologue to my <clears throat> disapproval of the entire event, I guess I should, should mention that uh, just briefly. I, I, I do find it a little bit frustrating that so many people, uh, otherwise right-minded people, and I would include Tucker Carlson in this, um, seem to be bewitched by this guy, Putin, okay? Um, now, I realize that Putin is uniformly vilified in the establishment media and by the Western, you know, the globalist elites and all that. And there's a tendency to assume that anything the establishment media says or anything the globalist media, uh, the, the, the establishment media pro, uh, profess or the global elites say has therefore ipso facto got to be wrong. And uh, that's 
I mean, not always the case. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in, in this case, I think the interview, as it turns out, I mean, I, on that basis, I mean, Putin is a mass murderer. He, he's a vile human being. Uh, and, you know, he's been that for, for some time. And he's the guy who's now presiding over, be it noted, not just the mass murder of Ukrainians, but also of his own men. You know, I mean, the military tactics that they're using under his direction, this, this human wave tactics or, the, you know, the meat wave or whatever they call them, have resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of, of, of the flower of Russia's young men. I mean, it's, it's a horrible, horrible event. And yes, I understand there's a lot of history involved, uh, but frankly, his long recitation of the history was um, the same sort of thing you hear from any dictator who justifies. I mean, you would have heard something similar change of names events, but something similar had you interviewed Hitler in the late 1930s. Well, you know, of course the Anschluss was justified because of this and all these other things. And, you know, and, and Hitler could have gone on about all the terrible things that were visited on the Germans, at, you know, the, the Treaty of Versailles and all the rest of this. Everybody has a beef. Every country has, you know, but by his logic, Venezuela should invade Guyana. Argentina should annex uh, Uruguay and Chile. Obviously, China should go after Taiwan. Sweden should take back Norway, which only been independent for, for mm-hmm. a little while. Hungary should go out and, you know, gobble up the parts of Romania and Ukraine that used to belong to it. And on and on and on. Mexico and on. should take back Texas. It, Mexico should take back Texas and the Western United States. I mean, history is just a litany of human grievances and injustices. This is a fact. And to the extent that we achieve any degree of peace and international understanding, uh, it, it is in direct proportion to willingness to kind of let go of some of these things and mm-hmm. let bygones be bygones and not nurse these grudges over centuries and indeed millennia. But that wasn't his main yeah. argument. His main argument was essentially that the coup that was orchestrated by the intelligence agencies here in the U.S. in 2014, the Maidan Ukrainian coup, but that's he, he led up to that. Yes. But the, the why the 40 minutes of all the history, and a lot of the history, by the way, is very misleading. When he, I mean, for, for, for example, I mean, by his logic, Ukraine could, since the first major Russian state was actually the Kievan Rus, which was headquartered in Kiev, it was ultimately destroyed by the Mongol invasion, which he correctly noted. And then the next state that was constituted, the Tsarist Russia, was headquartered in Moscow instead. Okay, and so you know the Ukrainians could easily go back and say, "Well, actually, we should be the center of it because we're the original state ah. here, and the Russians are interlopers and barbarians, and they're the people that live on the boundary." That's what Ukraine. The word "krai" literally means boundary. Yeah, in that, Russian. he explained okay. that. Yeah. So, but but you know, another quick point. He 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 went on about all the terrible things that that Poland had done because they forged a you know a, a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany, which is what you sometimes do if you're bordered by, by a much larger aggressive mm-hmm. neighbor. With malign intent, you do whatever you can yeah. to to placate them. Okay, but if by that standard the Polish were Nazi collaborators and appeasers, well, so were the Russians, <laughs> right? Because you <laughs> they know, were allies. He, he conveniently didn't mention the Molotov-Ribbentrop non-aggression pact at all. Yeah. And the point is that you know that that they were actually allies, yeah. open allies of, of the Nazis until the, un, Nazis, until the turned. Nazis turned on them. So most of the history was spurious, yeah. and the whole thing was was kind of a sham. That being said. You know, I wouldn't have done it personally. I would not have countenanced this 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 character at what he's doing. Tucker Carlson chose otherwise. People mm-hmm. are going to think what they're going to think, and that's fine. Let's hear from Bill Jasper. What do you think, Bill Jasper? What were some of your thoughts from the interview? Well, <clears throat> as as Steve just very eloquently pointed out, he uh, monopolized the first part of the interview, the first major part of the hour, 
with all his revanchist and irredentist claims about uh, uh, territory. And that is that is typical uh, Russian and Soviet uh, argument that they use to justify taking over uh, all of these countries back uh, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. Uh, I, I think uh, that what was <clears throat> what was most important in the in the interview wasn't so much anything that he said as that uh, it gave people a glimpse of uh, of Putin uh, up close and personal. And I think the the takeaway from that, could be uh, very dangerous in in uh, in some ways because uh, many people will see him. Uh, I think just from from his own uh, persona, as he expressed there, that he's kind of a villainous character. He had this kind of uh, smug, uh, thuggish uh, persona to him, which I think came out. Uh, but for many people. Uh, and this is this is disturbing to me because, as Steve mentioned, there are many right-thinking people who have fallen under his sway in the past ten years, and not only because he is being attacked by our mutual enemies—that is, the globalists in the in the media—but because he has falsely put forward this image of a moral Christian order that he is establishing. Uh, in in Russia, Bill. Let's and take. Is, let's let's take. So we could get to, we could jump into that a, a little later after we get uh, right after into, the break. Yes. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800 727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. Welcome back. 
So, Bill, you were going to talk about this uh, this fake uh, moral character that Putin is putting out. I want to show our audience also that in 2014, you authored the cover story here, Defender of Christian Faith and Morality. So you've looked into this. You've looked at Putin for years, I think decades and whatnot. So please continue those thoughts about, you know, Putin claimed to be, you know, to be this defender of orthodoxy, but... What are you, you're, you're, you don't believe that's the case. We should point out that there's a question mark at the end of yes, that title. Yes, I thought I did. I apologize. <laughs> Go on, yes. continue so, those thoughts, Bill. Well, this is, this is super important because many of the people who will be watching this out of the millions uh, who did are people who are Christians and who are beguiled by his phony uh, appeals to, uh, to Christians uh, around the world. And he has... Uh, done this. I, I, I'm a Catholic. I spoke at a big Catholic conference in uh, 2015 uh, in Niagara Falls, and uh, my topic was on Putin and on the deception that was going on, uh, selling him as the new uh, savior for Western Christian civilization. And afterwards, I was besieged by a couple dozen of the conference goers who were uh, who were very agitated and said, well, how, how come you're attacking Putin? He's the only figure on uh, political figure on the world stage of any stature who is standing up for Christian civilization, Christian morality, opposing abortion, opposing LGBTQ, LMNOP, uh, all of these destructive things. And he has made quite a uh, career out of that in the last uh, 10 years. In fact, just before that conference, I had been invited to Moscow to this uh, world conference on the family, uh, which I was appalled that so many pro-life, pro-family people were going to go attend. It ended up being scotched because of the 2014 uh, invasion of Crimea. And so uh, I was glad that that had been, uh, I wasn't planning on going. Uh, because as I've written in many articles that we've had uh, in the New American Magazine, uh, this is a this is a huge deception. They have uh, yes, uh, Putin has uh, announced he's he's actually built, spent billions of dollars, built up a couple thousand churches that had been destroyed during the communist era throughout uh, Russia, and he is photographed regularly. Uh, in church and shown as a godfather at baptisms, etc. Uh, and this is all supposed to provide credibility to his claims and to his uh, posturing as a as the only major uh, political figure uh, promoting Christianity. Uh, but uh, I be I believe, as as I've stated in many of the articles, that in order to understand him and how this is uh, playing out as a grand deception. Uh, one has to be at least somewhat familiar with Anatoly Golitsyn, who was the most important defector from the Soviet KGB ever to come to America. And he laid out in his books and in his reports exactly how this was going to uh, uh, play forward. He started this in 1984 with his book, New Lies for Old. And he stated that we are going to see phenomenal changes in the Soviet Union. In fact, even a fake collapse, which 
he contends the 1990-91 collapse was fake. Well, uh, well that they, Putin it, said that was orchestrated. That was allowed, or I don't remember what term he used, by the Soviet Union, right? Right. Yeah, so he basically was confirming that without explicitly... Yeah, uh, yeah. He didn't know we read any, that book. Any reference to to the the uh, deception there. Yeah, now, and, Steve, and, go on. Okay. Yeah, and so he said, uh, uh, Golitsyn uh, said, quoting from the Soviet leaders that he was on the inner circle with, that this was going to deny the face of the enemy. So they had this whole new... Uh, program for developing a supposedly outward-looking, welcoming Russia that was going to uh, be more open and become more westernized, become more capitalist and more Christian. And uh, he has been playing that for, well, he's he's been a dictator there no longer, well, since uh, Joseph Stalin. Uh, he's been the longest-serving uh, yeah. dictator there in the in the well, Soviet Union. And Steve, you wanted to kind of pile on that because you think that he showed exactly uh, that he's an, an atheist when he was asked. Well, yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Galitsyn, Bill, because the name that that we used to invoke a lot here at the New American, you know, back in the '90s and the early 2000s, we kind of gotten away from that. Uh, was he wrong? Well, obviously he wasn't wrong. And this guy, th- this guy Putin, I've got to say, and of course he used to work for the the, the, the KGB. I believe that was mentioned in the interview. It was. But the most one of the most telling one of the most telling parts was where, you know, after he rhapsodizes about about the faith, uh, you know, the, or, the the orthodox and christian faith and all this, um, you know, at, at one point Tucker asks him he says, "Well, now do you see then the and I and I think Tucker was hopeful he'd get an answer in the affirmative. At least that was his body language suggesting, you know, do you see uh God's hand in the operations, these things that are happening and, you know, the affairs of men and nations and governments and so forth and so on. And Putin, you know, fixed him with that, 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 that hard-eyed stare and said, no, not really. No, I don't see that. He said, there's just certain laws of human conduct, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially what mm-hmm. he said, it's a close paraphrase, yes. you know, that uh, there's certain laws of human conduct and things happen and uh, other things happen. And so in other words, he's an atheist, okay? He very, very clearly, he is which means he's cut from the same, he may not self-identify as an old-style Soviet communist, although he certainly had a lot of, of good things to say about the Soviet Union. Um, and um, Well, he certainly didn't say anything bad about it. No, he? he's a great, and, he's, and, this is, and none of this is new, of course. He's, he's gone on record many times talking about how he feels that the dissolution of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy of our time, and you know, he saw that as this great guarantor of peace, and of course of Russian power, which he now clearly is aiming to reconstitute, um, you know, now I, I, I think, you know, people will say, well, but, you know, he's not a communist and he's certainly very different from the, you know, he doesn't seek to conquer the world and so forth. He's not a, glo- he's opposed to the globalists. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Well, if you listen to this interview again, there were several telling interludes in which he said, well, first of all, he claims, I'm not sure that he's telling the truth or that he, he's certainly embroidering what happened, but he claims he petitioned or began making inquiries about Russia joining NATO, yes. and that NATO rebuffed him, which I find very hard to believe. That's not the modus operandi of the globalists. Yeah. They don't rebuff anyone. They certainly didn't rebuff uh, the Soviet Union when they set up the United Nations, even, oh. even knowing, you know, they gave him a seat on the security, even knowing that that would, would create organizational difficulties and conflict, you know. But somehow, you know, the NATO people you know, rejected Russia out of hand. And so, oh boy, I gave up. And then later on, he talks about <coughs> on several occasions how he thinks there should be 
a single unified, as he put it, you know, global security apparatus. Yeah. Well, and let's look at so, that, though. Can, you know, can you run? Uh, so he's clearly a globalist. He what? just has a slightly different perspective. Listen, you have said that the world is breaking into two hemispheres. A human brain is divided into two hemispheres. One is responsible for one type of activities, the other one is more about creativity and so on. But it is still one and the same head. The world should be a single whole. Security should be shared rather than a meant for the golden billion. Well, there we go. We're going to we're going to come back and we're going to discuss because it does sound like Putin is a globalist and that's what we've been maintaining. We're going to be right back. Imprisonment, forced labor, permanent separation from my family. Perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect. But the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world, one without tyranny, was within sight. The West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money, no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud seeped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about the fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home. But I pushed those thoughts from my mind, closed my eyes, and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector, a true story of tyranny, liberty, and purpose by Mark Hobavkovich with Paul Dragu, a thrilling page-turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase DEFECTOR at shopjbs.org. Hey listeners and readers, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you think about the stories we report, the way we report them, and what you'd like to hear more and less of, and any other comments or questions related to the New American Daily. You can send your comments and questions to dailyshow at thenewamerican.com. That's dailyshow at thenewamerican.com. And during our Friday episodes, we'll read some of your comments. Again, send your questions to dailyshow at thenewamerican.com. All right, welcome back, folks. So we were going to start talking about Putin the globalist because as one of you mentioned, one of the uh, things that people in the West believe is that Putin is fighting the globalists. Now, of course, that's another thing that Bill, and I'm not sure you've reported on as well, but it's not that he's fighting a globalist. He does want to, he's a globalist himself. He just wants to be in charge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over here to you, Steve. Uh, what, what, uh, give me some additional thoughts on this. Well, I would qualify that. He's, he's opposed to the Western axis of the globalists, okay, in the same way that Xi Jinping is opposed to the, in China, is opposed to the Western axis of the globalists. And his, you know, but his, but his metaphor of the brain having two hemispheres is very telling. You know, ultimately, he's a Isn't guy it? who wants to carve up the world 
into respective spheres of, of local influence. And But when he talks about collective global security, it's very clear where he's coming from. Did he not also you know, talk about uh, a, a global currency or did I misinterpret that? No, I don't that? Re recall that. But, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm sure he would be on board with something like that as long as Russia were an equal player with the United States and, and all the rest of it. I mean, you know, during the Cold War period, there was some a certain measure of genuine antagonism between the globalists in the USSR and the globalists in the West. You know, there, there, there were kind of competing visions. I mean, uh, English, uh, the English socialist Bertrand Russell wrote back in the 1950s that one way or another we're going to have a world government. It would probably be better, though, if it's run by Westerners rather than Russians because we have a more, uh, a more liberal tradition and, mm. and we would be able to do it better, in effect, is what he said. So, the, you know, I, I mean, it's important to remember that the, even the globalists, despite the name, are not necessarily monolithic. Meanwhile, the Chinese position, very transparent position, yeah. which Xi Jinping and his lackeys often articulate, is that, well, the Chinese is the, is the middle kingdom. That's mm -hmm. what the name means. And it, the, we are the world's best managers and organizers. So we are genetically best equipped to be the superior, you know, kind of kind of race, the ones who, you know, because, you know, you're not going to be able to get the Indians or the Russians. Uh, they're too chaotic. They can't possibly. But we can. You know, we're great at this stuff. So so there are different, different, you know, you know, perfect perspectival divergences where, yeah. where they all coincide mm -hmm. is that all these people are essentially socialists of various sorts, okay, international socialists at that. And they all believe ultimately, fervently, they being Western globalists that we're familiar with, the Klaus Schwabs and yeah. the Henry Kissingers and so forth, uh, are of a piece with the globalists in Moscow and Beijing and indeed New Delhi yeah. and elsewhere, in that they all have this 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 vision, ultimately of a single planetary government, and they're all socialists. So yeah, it's going to well, be a I, socialist. I movement. would say they're yeah. more than socialists. I I know that we we're pretty hard on Putin for 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 good reason, but I'm not, I'm not sure. And we're pretty hard on the deep state. But if if you look at this, I think that the the scariest monster is is probably the Western globalists. Uh, now it doesn't seem like it because I think they're more sophisticated. They lurk behind the shadows. But I mean, if you look at what they did, they, they have more money. Yes. Well, I mean, they what they did is first of all they've they facilitated coups all around the world for decades at least. Okay, and that's led to lots of carnage. Secondly, they they usurped the will of the people here in, in 2020. They stole an election and then they installed a regime that has then facilitated this pouring over the southern border that has led to hundreds of thousands of additional deaths and rapes and all this stuff. And, and, and third, I would say, once we get all the details, we're going to find out that they facilitated the COVID jab genocide that is pop that is happening all over the all over the world. So I'd say that is uh, and these people are not democratic. These people want to enslave us, like you pointed out. So I guess one of the questions is, is one worse or the other? Or does that even matter? Who's the worst? Well, I, I mean, these things do matter to a degree, but on, it's very easy to verge into whataboutism. And I, I, I sense that a lot. I sense that, you know, from, I've been following Tucker Carlson for a long mm -hmm. time. You sense that in him. And huh? yeah, sure. And I mean, I mean, you know, I've never heard him say a critical word about Putin. Yeah. But on the other hand, he's characterized Zelensky as a rat-like individual, among other things, you know. Yeah. So he's got a pretty clear bias. And mm -hmm. as far as this interview is concerned, I mean, you know, he asked a couple of hardball questions, but a lot of it was... I think fairly fairly servile, and his his general inclination, I think was was was, was pretty clear. Did it so, bother you that he called you know, him Mr. President? <laughs> like several times. I don't times. care what he calls him. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not Tucker Carlson. It didn't bother me viscerally. I'm I'm just saying that, that you know it, it's. Bill, Bill, why don't you chime he, in he's, here? He's not he's not a a, a disinterested party. That 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 was yeah. pretty clear.
Bill, chime in here. You've you've like we've mentioned sure. before, you've done I, I so much the, on the, this. I think the uh, his reference to the two hemispheres of the brain, and uh, as you alluded to, and you showed in the in the video, uh, where he's talking about how we need to have a, a single world authority, it uh, hits right to the center of what we've written about a lot in the New American, which is the globalists and the communists have all this whole past century been on a course of convergence. They even call it that, convergence. Mm -hmm. We have to change the United States and change the communist countries in such a way that they can be merged, that they can converge in a global system. And it, and he, he referred to that actually a couple of times. He talked about having a uh, when he was talking about the missile defense, that there should be cooperation between right. uh, the United States and Russia. Well, mm. this goes clear back to he's echoing what his Soviet predecessors had said uh, during Gorbachev's time and even before that, uh, back during Brezhnev's time, where they talked about working together to build a, a global defense system. How would that work other than being under global control? And of course, the globalists, uh, as typified by the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, Bilderberg, et cetera, all these global elitist groups have been pushing this uh, uh, from the beginning of the Soviet Union, from the Bolshevik Revolution onward. Uh, through various intervals, we had... Uh, the, the globalists pushing massive trade and aid to the Soviet Union. And then when it was propitious, they would say, oh, Soviet Union bad. Now we have to uh, uh, build up America's defenses more, spend trillions of dollars on that. Then we'd go back into a new era where it, of detente or perestroika, where now it's a good thing to give the Soviets aid again. And we've seen that since this so-called collapse of the Soviet Union, under uh, first under uh, Yeltsin and then under under um, Putin. Remember, what, during the the first uh, fourteen years of his presidency, dictatorship of the Soviet of Russia, he 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 alternated between prime minister and president because the constitution only allowed him to have two terms. So then he'd rotate into being prime minister with a puppet uh, president ahead of him. And then he changed the constitution uh, so that he could have two more uh, presidential uh, administrations there. And uh, so he he's going to be president for life. But during the first 14 years, we were almost alone in in criticizing him when all he was the darling of the West. All the rest of the media and George Bush uh, Jr. and Sr. were singing his praises and how wonderful uh, he was to work with. Uh, we pointed out that, no, he's KGB, FSB, and he had put in charge in Soviet Union all throughout, excuse me, in Russia, all throughout Russia, the highest level of uh, KGB uh, personnel that we'd ever seen in the history of the Soviet Union and Russia. And so he is a continuation of the communist uh, revolution in uh, in Russia, in the Soviet Union. And the globalists have, were working fine with him clear up until uh, 2014. So then the question in my mind is, uh, looking at this through the, the perspective of, of decades before, is are the globalists truly 
opposed to Putin and Russia now, or are we back to a good cop, bad cop uh, type of scenario? Because when they when they slammed the door and the sanctions on on Putin, uh, they still went full bore ahead uh, with all of their uh, investments in aid to communist China, which is Putin's mm. big partner. And that's who has been supporting him uh, oh. mainly through all of this. All right, Bill, we're going to we're going to come back for a last segment and we're going to talk about his expansionist ambitions. Hey, America, how tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, The New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call one 800 727 8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800 727 8783. All right, so there you go, Steve. You heard it from Putin himself. He has no expansionist ambitions. Are you convinced? I know this is something you're worried about. Well, sure, because, you know, I, I always am in the habit of taking the word of a, of a mass murderer. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, Poland for starters, I mean, we heard the long laundry list of grievances against Poland in his rambling diatribe. So that, I think, was pretty revealing. Also, you know, geographically, Poland doesn't border on, well, it does border on a part of Russia, the Kaliningrad enclave, doesn't border on the rest of Russia. And there's this area of Poland called the Suwalki Gap, mm-hmm. which, 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 if it were con- controlled, would allow land access from Belarus to, to mm-hmm. the, so, so yeah, he's got very strong motives. As far as other stuff, you know, I mean, he's, he's been involved in Georgia. He actually sent, you know, the invaded Georgia, that was his first, you know, the first country he invaded. Of course, Georgia, as we know, also bought to belong to Russia also. After all, Stalin was Georgian. So, you know, they have no right being independent and so forth and so on. Um, He's also involved in Moldova. And he also said something very revealing toward the end. You know, he sort of said, well, you know, this war would be over if, you know, could have implied if they would just give us the territory that that we claim they can have the rest. But then he talked about, he said how we will be united with Ukraine. Yeah. So I think that was a little bit of a slip of the tongue. He does intend to, re, to to fully conquer Ukraine mm. and with it Moldova. Okay. Yeah. And so, and who knows? As far as the cent- Central Asian republics at the moment, they're being very subordinate, you know, very yeah. subservient. But he no doubt would like to. I mean, their their main space base mm-hmm. uh, at um, the Cosmodrome yeah. at Baikonur is actually in a foreign country now in Kazakhstan. That is doubtless a situation he would like to rectify. 
Let me go to Bill here. Bill, I want to get your take on, it sounds like what Putin was saying regarding the end of this, this conflict, all that needs to happen, he said, is that we need to stop supplying weapons and the war will end. And he made it sound like there, that's all he wants. I guess he'll take the Donbass and Crimea, keep Crimea, and he's not moving anywhere else. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I concur with Steve. I mean, we can trust a mass murderer uh, not to lie to us. Uh, I, I was in uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Poland in 2009, and uh, all of them had been in, invaded and occupied by Soviet um communist forces uh, for many years. And uh, many I interviewed there many people who had come back from, who had escaped from it or had been released from the gulags. And many of them, their families perished there. And uh, so they are very sensitive to this. And particularly when I was in Tallinn, uh, Estonia, they still have a large Soviet population there. These are Russians who were brought in to occupy uh, during the Soviet occupation and have remained there. Uh, a large percentage of the population is still Russian, while the Estonians, Latvians, Lithuanians were taken off to the gulags in Siberia. Uh, so particularly in Estonia, uh, while I was there, there was a, a big furor over the removal. The Estonians had said, we're going to remove this Soviet soldier statue glorifying the Russian Red Army, the Soviet Red Army, from the central uh uh, town square of, of Tallinn. And the Russians went into a big uproar over that, the Russians who were occupying uh, Estonia. So this is still very real in the uh, lives and in the memories of the people of the Baltic states and all of the so previously Soviet-occupied countries. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, well thank you, gentlemen. I, uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Uh, we never have enough time. We'll figure a way around that. But Bill, thank you for joining us. And we're going to look now, we're going to take this portion of the show and we're going to look at some of the emails that we've been getting. We've been asking folks to send us emails on, on comments and suggestions about the show. So the first one I'm going to read is from Mickey White of Tennessee. And here's what Mr. Mickey White says. He says, I like the history of the JBS and especially the mentions of all the successful projects through the early decades and the old speeches. He said, Evan Mulch's report on the Zoom and book was good. Perhaps a weekly, not daily segment on things like that in history and successes or failures. Well, Mickey, that's exactly what we're uh, what we're doing, what we're looking at. Um, we're uh, we're trying uh, to get more folks there to talk about some of the victories. Now, as you know, it sounds like you're a bircher. Uh, the birchers, like uh, Evan said, were working all across the the country, and so they've had. Uh, we're going to try and see and get more of those stories of their victories. Did you want to add anything to this, this, Steve? What do you think of Mickey's suggestion here? That's fine. <laughs> I'm on board with that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely going to do that. We're going to bring more folks in because what the Birch Society is doing is, is pretty, um, it's been kind of, it, it, it hasn't been exactly broadcast, but we've been working for decades. And so we're going to kind of talk about that. We're going to brag about that. And we want to invigorate and inspire the Birchers who exist. And we want to get others to join because we believe we are the best organization uh, to to retake, to reform, uh, or to restore a nation. All right, so we have another one, and this one's kind of funny. I know that Steve's going to jump right on this. Uh, this is from Linda from Appleton, Wisconsin, right here. And she says, the news you guys discuss is excellent because you are not afraid to point fingers at the people within the CFR, the UN, 
and who are creating the booming, buzzing confusion. She's referring to a previous conversation that we had about the UN. However, the show needs a lighter side, perhaps a cooking show routine, five minutes in length with Gary or Steve or me cooking up their least favorite dish and talking conspiracy. Well, why would we cook up our least favorite dish? If we're going to cook, I would imagine we want to cook up our favorite dish. Well, I'm no good at cooking. I mean, I, 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 beyond sausages and fried eggs and, and, and warmed over chili, I, I really am not good for that. However, I could certainly offer a clinic on bird watching. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, sure that, I'm sure that would be a big audience draw. No, no, that's, uh, you do. I, I, no one knew that until you said that. But by the way, Steve loves bird watching. Steve, you've bird watched all over the world, haven't you? Many places, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what, what's been your favorite place to bird watch? Oh, well, I, I saw a lot of great birds in China, I got to be honest. And um, let's see, probably Ecuador. Yeah. yeah. Ecuador is fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And you were just recently there. Now, as far as cooking for me, I, don't, I can't cook a whole lot. I'm really blessed because I have an amazing wife who cooks amazing food. Uh, we grow some of it. I catch some of it. I kill some of it. And I would say the, the, the key to cooking anything good is probably uh, the best is, is the conspiracy. But I got to say, I'm, and the conspiracy is, what did I... Is is fresh meat? You know, it's game meat. Uh, cooking that, that the was a Bidenism, Paul. Yeah, we're going to call it a Bidenism after 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 Biden's rambling talk yesterday. Yes, yes. <laughs> we'll talk about that on Monday. We're I'm definitely sure. going to talk about, but that, maybe this is an opportunity because it's it's like that's something that uh, just popped up in the news. And I, did I just pull a Biden there? I did, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. So I I didn't mean to do that, but as far as the conspiracy goes. Uh, you know, we can we can cook, we can talk about the conspiracy, but we're going to continue talking about the conspiracy. And uh, this is one of the things that I think we do better than most people, uh, uh, most outlets. And this is why we exist. We exist to present the news uh, through this Birch filter. And we believe that the Birch filter is the most accurate uh, filter as far as a, a way to present the news. Well, and I mean, I would point out that, that, that this this story with the Putin interview is a good example of that, because we don't get bewitched by personalities. You know, we look we look at the substance. I mean, you know, I mean, Putin at times talks a good game, as mm -hmm. we've mentioned. But if you really look at it, and Bill Jasper did a wonderful job just now summarizing the reality of the man yeah. and why we shouldn't be misled. And, and you know, it, it, this is not necessarily a good guys versus bad guys thing. But people are is so what it is? yeah, people are so yeah, are so eager to so hopeful that they can find a hero out there that yeah. they can you to. So. That, that's a good point because I think we're at a point where there's just too many bad guys and we're looking for a hero. And unfortunately, if we're so desperate to look for a hero, we might find one where there isn't one. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. <laughs>